Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The HBIC podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the HBIC family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at HBIC are pursuing discipleship, in other words, how they are learning to follow Jesus' example and obey his teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. Today I'm sharing part two of my conversation with Kevin and Barb Kelly, uh, who are headed out in a couple weeks for uh, long-term missions in Athens, Greece. And this week we talk specifically about uh, what exactly their time in Athens is going to be um, looking like, the different types of things they'll be doing, engaging with refugee populations, the realities of that type of ministry. Um, Great chance to learn what they're doing so you can kind of support and pray for them and hopefully be inspired by what they're doing. Uh, And I mentioned this at the end of last week, but if you want to learn more about them, you can go to their blog, Kelly Crossings, K-E-L-L-E-Y-K-R-O-S-S-I-N-G-S.com. Sign up for the newsletter, learn more. Uh, Enjoy this conversation. So I would love to hear now, like, maybe a, a... pivoting, looking ahead and, and talking more concretely about like what exactly you will be doing um, as much as you'd be able to open a window into the, that the refugee crisis in, well, I mean, they're coming from everywhere, right? But headed to, to Greece and you know, helping hands that you're working with. Um, I'd love to just get a sense of, you know, especially as you guys are getting ready to leave and people will be hearing this in the next week or two weeks and as you're heading out. So great to equip your church family with knowledge and ability to be praying for you and, and thinking about, about what you're doing there. Um, so what will you be doing there? So in, in Athens, we work um, with Helping Hands, which is a organization that helps to provide for humanitarian aid, providing food and shelter and um, a safe space for people to relate to each other um, we provide um, not only family meals there, but food sometimes to go with people. Um, it's just basic staples, clothing, shoes. It's a space where people can take showers, where they can do laundry, um, where women can gather on women's days, um, separate from the you know being around men, which is in Muslim cultures, um, very distinct uh, relationships between men and women. And are and the, mo- the majority of the refugees Muslim? The group that we are working with, yes. Okay. Um, most, uh, the, gr- the group specific, because of language barriers, you usually pick a people group. And so we're working with um, Persian people, mostly from Iran and Afghanistan. Okay. And um, so in that setting uh, of providing kind of humanitarian aid, the focus is really on relationship building for however long they're going to be around. Um, And that can be really special. You build a lot of um, relationships and you can um, really build on um, the interactions. People ask lots of questions. We hold Bible studies. Sometimes it's casual. Sometimes it's more intense. Um, Would you want to add to that? Yeah, I think when we, we, our second short-term trip, when we, the first one I shared was at, in the Isle of Lesvos, we planned to go the next year, but COVID. So when we finally went in, um, in September of last year, September of 22, 
we went for two weeks to Athens um, to work with his team and, and really felt, I think both of us uh, walked away with the, the impression that uh, we both could easily find a way to be useful and contribute something of value to the ministry that uh, was being provided there. And in most of our other short-term trips, Barb felt like she had a good um, outlet for her skill set. And I usually walked away with, you know, somebody else could have done this much better than me. Um, but the dynamic of, of the kind of work that's being done and the, the um, flexibility that's required to, to meet the needs as they present problem-solving kinds of things, um, and a, a need for leadership to, um, to, to be part of the team that, that um, um, I could work well with, it, with the, the leadership that was there and could see an opportunity for, um, for to be used in, in, a, in an effective way. That second trip that we took, there were several incidents during a short two-week period where I had these moments of uh, conversation with the Lord. Lord, if, if you want this, um, then this, sort of laying out the Gideon's fleece, you know. Mm -hmm. And just su surprisingly, one really silly, perhaps, as I've shared in other settings, um, but significant to me, um, as the, the team was planning um, for the next six months, and we were only there for two weeks, as I was listening to the conversation, I just had this sense the Lord placed an, an idea in my head, and I said, I'm only here for two weeks. This is a six-month vision-casting meeting. Kevin, just shut up. Um, and Lord, if you want me to say something, you're going to have to ask me directly. And about 30 seconds after I offered that prayer, the leader of the meeting looked at me and said, feel free to share if you have any ideas. And as soon as I shared what I, it doesn't matter what it was, but as soon as I shared what was uh, on my mind, the meeting just kind of came to a, a, like a, huh. It was a God moment, it felt like. And that changed the course of the conversation and pretty much set them off in a direction that they hadn't been going before that they ended up pursuing. And during that week, the leader came up to me and said, since, you know, you, this was your idea, how about you start the first, <laughs> you share the first lesson, the first message. I had no books, none of my materials, and, and was immediately uh, stressed because most of these people speak Farsi. I don't speak two words of Farsi. And just knowing the, the awkwardness of being translated, I just thought can't really say no, but this is not going to be fun. The afternoon when I was prepared to share, in walks to the center, this uh, young man, everything's relative, he's young compared to me, um, and I watched him walk in, big beautiful smile on his face, and he walked over to uh, a group that were speaking in Greek, and he started conversing with them in Greek, and then he walked over to a, a group of some of our interns who were speaking German, and he started speaking with them. And they walked over some, to ref some refugees who were speaking Farsi, and he just immediately 
launched into a conversation with them in Farsi. And then he came over and spoke to me in English, and it was just perfectly fluent. And he was asked to be a translator as, you know, he was in some kind of pastoral ministry in Athens. Nobody had ever met him that, that was there. And I have never had such a wonderful experience of being translated. He got the intonation, he got the, the tone, the spirit, the, um, the animation. It was such a delight. <laughs> Again, those are, those are little, perhaps insignificant examples, but our experience, I feel like, was littered with those kinds of things as if affirmation that the Lord was saying, this is where I want you. And neither one of us ever envisioned, yeah, we, we're, we're called to Athens. <laughs> um, but we went back, we were invited by the team to come and join them uh, whenever we could get our ducks in a row. So the, the following, that was in September, the following February, we left and spent three months in Athens um, and are now pursuing uh, a, a visa so that we can stay longer than three months. This passport only allows you to spend essentially three months in and three months out. And a visa will give us some more flexibility so we could s stay for longer stretches. Um, and so that's what we're pursuing. Actually, next week we meet with the embassy in New York to have an interview to hopefully get approval to stay longer than three months. And whether for three months or longer, what you're going to be doing there is kind of that people work. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, the, 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 the population of refugees is relatively fluid. When we were there in September and we opened the doors for family meal, we had 120, 130 show up. And when we came back the following February, it was down to 40 or 50. And different people, like there, different people. No one's staying there long term. Well, some people ideally. stay for years, but we're not in any official capacity notified. So it's serendipitous if we know, oh, these people made it to Germany or mm -hmm. wherever their desired ultimate destination was. But the, the the number of refugees is constantly in flux. But we just heard last week while we were uh, at, at camp, we got a, a text message that. Five or six hundred new arrivals landed at one of the refugee camps where we visit as a team uh, once a week to bring bring ourselves and try to establish relationships and just share Christ's love. Um, so it becomes a little bit of a challenge to determine where are the refugees, where are they coming, when are they coming, where are they coming from, and when are they coming. Um, and now seems part of the challenge is to try to determine what's the best strategy to where we find these people, many of whom are trying to keep a very low profile. Um, Initially, uh, when we arrived last year, there were a lot of people living within Athens. There was a stipend by the government that allowed them a housing allowance. There was, the camps were full and people were also living on the streets. The government, um, just with 
general politics and how they do immigration, decided to discontinue the stipends. So most people were moved back to camps, which are outside of the city limits of Athens. Some have some of the camps have some public transportation where they can get in. Others do not. Um, so the um, helping hands buildings are within Athens. So the refugees have to be able to come to those buildings in order to, in order for us to extend um, the services that we had. So we started to change some of that in the spring, where we were going out to the camps. We're not officially allowed in the camps, so we have to set up outside the gates of the camp, and then we let the refugees know that um, we're there or are coming, and then they let their friends know and they come out and, and meet with us. It is a harder situation to meet a larger um, population, but as we find those shift, sifting sands and the different um, flows, ebbs and flows of the refugees, it's um, a challenge to constantly be shifting how you do service to meet their needs. Yeah, it feels like that would be really, um, I don't amorphous, just, just like it's it's hard to c- keep consistency and track with people, and it's all in their court whether or not they come back out, and, you know, I was, the the analogy my, man, my mind wanted to draw was like doing like ministry with young adults or something in terms of just this transience, like in and out, you see people for a season and they're totally gone. You have that a little bit just by the nature of these are people that are hopefully only in Athens for a very short season and then are moving on somewhere. But then beyond that, the particularities of them being in the camps or I guess they're all in the camps now, not in the city, but the majority, if they can afford their own housing in Athens, they stay. So some people do get jobs within um, the Greek culture, and are able then to afford um, housing for themselves. But within that situation and the different, so you're there for three months at last year, in the fall, right? Mm-hmm. Were you able to see, like, um, were you able to gain some consistent traction with folks in terms of relationship building and serving the different needs? Um, yeah. yeah, I think um, we, at least in part, through the programs that were offered at the refugee center in Athens, many of the men would come, and the and I'm assuming the women, it's it's the same, because on, on those particular days, a men a men's focus would only be male workers. So I would go and to the center during the the men's day. Barb would go to the center during the women's day, um, and we'd talk to each other afterwards. But uh, we. We uh, were seeing some of the same faces um, uh, week after week, and of course, every every now and then a new face would come, and and an old face would disappear, you know, without uh, necessarily knowing where they had would gone. Um, but one particular woman who uh, I had worked fairly closely with uh, back when we had gone for two weeks was kind of standoffish and aloof because we were only there for two weeks. And then when we came back for a, a longer period, she she almost presented to us an entirely different personality. This was a refugee who was working with Helping Hands as an employee at this point. And Just she, to clarify that. Yeah, and but she had pretty much assumed the posture of, I'm, 
I don't have the energy to invest in relationships for people who are only going to be here for two weeks. So while we're talking about the challenges, it is for us to consider working with such a fluid, ever-changing population. It's sobering to consider that for people in, in crisis, it's perhaps magnified. Sure. Because they're sharing and commiserating together and seeing some of their friends successfully being given asylum and uh, or, or whatever the case may be, finding a, a more permanent home, others uh, being sent back to their point of origin and just having to deal with the, the anxiety and concern about people going back from where they were running from. And, and then just what that does to the refugee who's left behind, wondering what's going to happen to me kind of a thing. Um, and relate, these, this is a very relational ministry, and that takes time. Yeah. So the, the importance of being able to, to be there. Um, I think the biggest importance of the, of the ministry there is relationships. It's planting um, it's planting seeds, and it's um, really being able to show God's love to people who are going through a really traumatic um, and unsettling situation. And they come often from areas where they are very uh, suppressed and um, lots of rules and regulations, and they don't have a context for, uh, for meeting Christians. And so I think by... Um, just showing God's love to people that you're able to open doors for them to explore. It might not be during the season that we know them. Maybe it comes later, um, and that's all in God's hands. And I think, too, that when I think about the whole um, work with refugees, we are at a point of entry in that process, and even that sounds like I'm minimizing it. They have traveled often by foot, long, long distances, and then by sea sometimes. They've been through lots of traumatic events in that whole process to get to that point of entry. And from there, they're put on hold um, till they can seek the asylum process and move on to another country, usually. Usually it's not Greece that they want to stay in. They want to go to the UK or Germany or Canada or the US or um, meet family wherever they might be already. But then I think about that process of, okay, so that's the point of entry. But there has to be people in those other places that are also receiving them and helping them at those points. So when I think about how that affects us here in the United States, in our communities, we have a refugee population here in Harrisburg. We have a refugee population in Lancaster. Um, and there's lots of opportunities where we can, you know, open our open ourselves up to explore what's out there. Just in a quick search that I did just for Harrisburg, there's, um, there's uh, lots of charitable organizations that help um, people. They help welcome them. They help um, with English as a second language. They help with um, um, literacy in like electronic bill paying or just bill paying in general, um, helping people find um, 
resources like the library and um, doctor's offices and clinics and uh, all the grocery stores. How, how, do, you, how do you navigate the uh, public transportation systems? All those things that when you come into a new setting and you don't know the language, that we can provide help um, in multiple areas of their journey. No, that's beautiful. And I would love to kind of finish by leaning into the any challenge you would want to leave folks that are here. You know what I mean? I think always with the missions conversation, and you already are taking it there, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, always driving home that idea that missions isn't just something that happens there, wherever there is, but here as well. But to commend, the, you know, a lot of what you guys are going to be doing, you, you are stopping at a, you are, serving people at a point of need at a specific stop on their journey. And you're going to know some people for six months and some people for six days and some people you're going to have great conversations with them. And then the next day they're going to be gone and you won't see them again. And that's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of reward because God's calling you into this, but it's going to be, uh, uh, difficult. I, I just commend what you guys are undertaking. You know, there's, there, there, to me, I think there would be a certain degree of, I don't want to say thanklessness necessarily, but you're seldom going to see the fruit of the seeds that you're planting in folks. It feels sometimes like a tiny piece of sand in a, mm. in, you know, a big, yeah. uh, but I do feel like each life that you touch and each person that you're able to share God's love with is, is monumental in God's family and in God's eyes. And I feel too that, um, I would say I have a couple challenges. One is number one to pray for us because we are constantly brainstorming on how to reach the refugees, what to do, where to go and how to do it. And, it's, it's constant, and sometimes it's um, exhausting to, to work through that. So that's one thing as far as prayer for us as we go. Um, a challenge, I think, beyond that is um, where do people feel like they can help? Is it um, with coming on a, on a short-term trip and helping us while we're in Greece or any other, for that matter, any other missionary that's out there that has um, groups that are coming to help? Um, is it to be a prayer warrior for us and, and for the other missionaries out there? Is it to look and see what kinds of things that they can be doing in our own communities? HBIC actually does a great job. We already have an English for a second language. We already are hosting um, Mission of Mercy coming in, so a medical clinic that can help provide care. We have a food pantry. Um, I know there's some stuff that goes on IT, uh, I don't know exactly what's... We help with citizenship classes, too. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of things, but just trying to think of uh, how to invite people to that, how to um, how to uh, befriend maybe refugees in our community so that they have a friendly face and can, if they have a question or a problem, they know where to ask or go. Um, One of the things that's impressed me in th these recent experiences for us is that the, the Lord seems to use 
me at least, in ways that I didn't anticipate or um, didn't expect. And in, in some ways, they feel like, well, that's kind of silly, trivial and, and, uh, and uh, minute. And yet, God starts great things with some of the smallest um smallest ingredients, you know, um, I, one of the, um, concerns that's been uh, heavy on my heart, particularly dealing with refugees, but I think it transfers to, to a, a lot of different contexts is the, the idea that we need to listen before we speak and really hear what it is that, um, what kind of context the people are are, are emerging from? Um, what's the nature of their their story before we come with the solution to their problems? Oftentimes, we don't even have a good grasp on what their problems are, um, and particularly ministering to those in a population who have been traumatized as much as so many refugees have been. The last thing I want to be a part of is increasing that stress. Many people fleeing from religious tyrannies into the arms of well-meaning Christians who mm -hmm. tell them, you believe all the wrong things. Mm -hmm. You need to believe what I believe mm. or you are damned mm. to hell for eternity is exactly the wrong tone to present and I do believe it's often well-meaning, but it's further traumatizing people. Um, so developing these relationships where, to use that old adage, people aren't going to care what you know until they know that you care, really has traction in, in a setting of working with refugees. But again, I think it translates and transfers into the most familiar turf where, where we navigate in our own culture, that we have to really demonstrate that we care, that we're not just coming with an agenda to get you to check these boxes and in assent in or agree to points of doctrine, uh, but we want to be Christ to others. We want the love of Christ to be what directs us. Um, and trust that God's in the business of doing the convicting and the drawing to him. Uh, I don't want to push people to him. I, um, I want, if people are attracted to Christ, it's because he's attractive, not because we're particularly gifted and strategic with um, devising the best of arguments. Yeah. And do we believe that enough to not, succumb to the pressure to have to close the deal. <laughs> exactly. You know, in the end, it's it's how we approach people in the delicate situations you're approaching them. Uh, it reveals what we think about the power of God and his spirit in the world and in lives of folks. Let me, just one closing yeah. thought, um, because you've reminded me of one of my early um, contacts in prison ministry, where I was going into a... a a prison Bible study, and again, I had this sense that that I should say something to this guy who I had just met 
in this prison setting. And it was pretty harsh. It was a, it was a, um, I don't even remember specifically what it was, but it was something to the effect like, you need to stop pretending and get real with God. Something confrontational. And I didn't want to say it because I was, I was anxious. And so I just prayed and Lord, let me get through this. This, I, I, I want to make sure this is from you. I don't want to say anything. And another fella in the room pointed to me and said, looked straight at me and pointed to me, and pointed at me and then pointed at this fella and says, you have something to say to him. And my immediate response was, no, I'm good. Ten minutes later, he did it again. He says, I'm sensing the Lord, you have something to say to this man. And so I, I sensed, okay, maybe I should just say this. And so I, I kind of laid it on him, this confrontational statement. And it was a beautiful moment of, again, one of those God timing things where the guy just, it hit him right where he needed and it just, it softened him and um, it was beautiful. And I, and I knew exactly what it was. I had a, a very specific sense of what I needed to say to him. But in the moment, that felt so good. And I kept talking beyond that sense of conviction that the Lord, I believe, had laid on me. And I said too much and spoiled it. So that sense of being in, in conversation with God, listening to him for his promptings, and developing that sense and discipline to not run ahead of God, yeah. but to wait for him and his timing to effectuate the kind of change and relationship that he wants others to have is, um, I think, a mark of maturity that I, I'm striving towards. Yeah. You know? Hope we all are. And I, and I think it, um, it highlights something else that comes up in, you know, missiology conversations a lot. Uh, and it's a check to that kind of colonialist idea that we we bring the gospel to places, we bring God to places, and if we don't do that, then God's not there. <laughs> um, instead, w- going forward in the idea that no God is is at work in the world, the Spirit is prevenient and is working in myriad ways we could never hope to pin down and understand. And the best we can do is to want to join God and join in the work that's being done there and be sensitive to that. It starts with listening to people and, and to the spirit. Um, God, you're okay. God, I stepping into any given room or stepping in. Okay, God, you're doing something here. How can I not trample all over it, but, but responsibly join you in that. And there's grace for, there's grace for when you say too much. You know, the other edge of that, the other side of that coin is like, God's not saying, well, Kevin, if you hadn't, you know, kept running your big mouth, I could have had something with that person. But uh, hands are tied now, you know. Right. It, it, but, you know, in the same way that the stories for so many of the folks that you're you're interacting with are, are long and, and winding and being written still. And, and the main point of that for me, the takeaway for that was, it's so much better when God's doing the directing yeah. and not me. Mm-hmm. God can redeem anything, mm-hmm. all of our screw-ups, but it's so much better when we just let God work through us. Well, I think what you guys are doing is a really beautiful picture of faithfulness, and I am excited to hear 
more stories from you guys as you're coming back and um, hopefully not very soon, but <laughs> whenever you do come back or send emails or whatever, it may be updating us. I look forward to hearing more stories. I know we're going to be um, challenged. You know, I think like Barb, what you're saying, um, there are a lot of refugees in this area, right? And there are neighbors. Um, many of them, most of them are not going to come here at nine or 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Uh, nor should we necessarily expect them to because we're not having services in Farsi and whatever else, and we're not, you know, it, it, and, and um, but there are neighbors, and there's a type of faithful presence that we need to be practicing, and I won't leave you with a final word if you have one, or a final challenge, or exhortation, or just encouragement. Um, I, I guess I would reiterate what, what Kevin said about just listening to God and, and keeping our eyes open and looking, looking around us maybe more intentional than we have in the past mm-hmm. to see. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in our lives, but if we slow down and we just take a moment to look around and to listen, I think God is prodding us um, and we can see opportunities every day. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, guys. We did it. Thank you. We did a podcast.